welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. Behold the man, Pontius Pilate proclaims as he parades the beaten and bloodied Christ before the crowd, his brow bedecked by a crown of thorns, his body bearing the mantle of the purple robe. And still they cry, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Behold your King! cries Pilate, trying desperately to mollify the assembled mob composed of those who are charged to bring the light of God to Gentiles like Pilate, but who now shout back, we have no king but Caesar. The mob refuses to see what is evident before their eyes. Their memories are darkened to another instance, when they have been told to gaze upon this man, as the prophet John called For them to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We stand on this darkest of nights and turn our eyes toward the cross, thinking we see clearly where they did not. Our cries are nothing like theirs, for ours join the refrain of that choir assembled from across all the ages of time. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We now boldly acclaim. We sing with a measure of thanksgiving, but also relief. For we know this man's death has allowed us to escape a just fate. And that air of relief clouds our vision. We behold Christ on the cross only through the lens of what we gain to the point that we are blinded to a deeper understanding of what is before us. Yes, this man, this king, this paschal lamb becomes the Savior of the world in this singular act before our eyes. But there is something else going on here, which we see repeatedly in the world around us, which switches our position from being in the heavenly choir to being accomplices in the assembled mob. For here, on Calvary's cross, hangs the personification of love. 
And so when we view this scene, we are called to behold. Behold, love dying. It is impossible for love to die, we protest. Love never ends, Paul told the Corinthians, we counter back. The wise Solomon taught that many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. And yet, the inescapable fact before us on this Good Friday evening is that we gaze upon a bloodied cross. We have buried its victim. And love has died by our very hand. We escape the ignominy and reality of this truth when we simply say that our sins put love on the cross. But what sins put Him there? The generalities we invoke allow us to escape the guilt that should be felt by all. For the cruelty we have unleashed by our own misdeeds. What was it that you have done to hang love upon the cursed tree? For maybe, just maybe, if we got serious about answering that question, we would be serious about ensuring that we cease repeating those actions. That we desist from causing love to die all around us daily. So then, how does love die? Love dies, beloved, when personal gain and security is held dearer than relationships. We may object that we would never do such a treacherous thing, but remember, so did Peter. Jesus told Peter that he would deny him not once, not twice, but three times before the cock crowed. And Peter answered back, that he would die before he betrayed the Lord. And yet when the time came to say, Yes, I know this man. He is my dearest friend. Peter could only offer denial after denial after denial until finally the cock crowed. Quite possibly Peter could see the physical and emotional torments Jesus was undergoing. And so he surmised, it is better that I survive than to face that myself. Maybe Peter thought, I warned him not to do this. I knew this would happen. And all he could say back to me was, get behind me, Satan. Regardless, Peter is clearly thinking only of himself at this moment, beloved, how often do we do something similar? How regularly does our felt need to protect our interest, our reputations, our security outweigh the demand to defend our friends and deeper still our neighbor? Remembering that Jesus taught us that everyone who treads across this earth 
is our neighbor. Love dies when we do not love our neighbor as much as we do ourselves. Love dies when we fail to place ourselves in peril for our relationships. As we recall that Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that he would give his life for his friends. Who are we killing? Or allowing to be killed today as we wrap ourselves in the warmth of our own security at the cost of love. Such destruction does not have to be unleashed, but it continues to be so because love dies when bystanders fail to silence hate. Where is Nicodemus when the Sanhedrin's kangaroo court tries Jesus in the dead of night and finds him guilty of blasphemy? He is a member of that august body after all. It was Nicodemus who had urged his colleagues earlier in John 7 to hear Jesus out before they adjudicated his guilt or innocence. They had accused Nicodemus of being a Galilean, maybe of Jesus' group that day. And so the security of silence prevails now as love slowly dies. To be sure, it is possible that Nicodemus is not there, we offer. But do we really think that he was ignorant of the conspiracy that is afoot? It is still silence, beloved. If he knew and remained home, it is still unnerving silence if he is present and keeps mute in the face of unvarnished hate. I wonder, I wonder if Nicodemus was deafened by the memory of the words of this dying prophet of love who told Nicodemus, That God loved the world so much that He had sent His only begotten Son into the world that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Does Nicodemus remember that he was told that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved as He, Nicodemus, remained speechless While love is condemned to death. Let us not be so naive to think that Nicodemus alone is guilty of garroting love through silence. Do we asphyxiate love when we allow the forces of racism, sexism, classism, bigotry, and prejudice to run unimpeded across our society. When we silently allow our communities to build hierarchical facades where the visible is valued more than the soul, we abet love's death. Are we not transformed into modern day Nicodemuses when we cry out, how can a man be born again while thereafter remaining silenced? In the face of de jure, 
or de facto oppression? Are we not accomplices to this gross miscarriage of love when we try to divert difficult discussions away from truly getting to the heart of the matter so that we may remain secure in our own positions of privilege and power? Therein we see yet another way in which love dies is when the maintenance of power and might are allowed to reign over what is right. Our attention once more turns to Pilate who testified that he found no fault with Jesus but nevertheless he must maintain the balance of power. He could not allow these Jewish leaders to think they were in charge. But he also had to forestall a simmering revolt to show his own superiors that he maintained power and authority here on the edge of the empire. Who cares what about what is right when there is power to be clutched? Love might be mighty. But it never satisfies the craving within the heart that has tasted true power or the ego that has fed on the power of popularity. And so, as if to say who is truly in charge, Pilate has tacked across the cross on which love hangs, dying an inscription that reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews in three different languages so all could read and understand. The Jewish leaders attempted to quibble over the language arguing that it should read, the man said, I am the king of the Jews. Possibly in attempt to let the inscription prove his guilt. But Pilate replies, what I have written I have written. In other words, Pilate says, My power reigns. I say who he is, not you. And though I found no fault in him, I still maintain the power of life and death. Oh, if this were a singular occurrence, how blessed we would be. But it is not. Every day around us, people, businesses, and even governments choose to exercise their power and might for what is expedient over what is right. They choose to kill love and allow its remains to become the fertilizer that enables the seeds of pain, anger, hate, and violence to germinate and take root. Oh, how can we tolerate to ever behold love dying when so much is at stake? And yet, more often than not, we do. Sadly, we do so in the false belief that we are supporting and stabilizing the faith when what we are really doing is allowing love to die by enabling faith to promote fear over justice. 
our focus returns once more to the crowds who are being given the opportunity to choose between Jesus the Christ and Barabbas. We would not think this to be a difficult decision on the face of things. Barabbas, who has been trying to overthrow Roman rule, the gospel accounts tell us, through insurrection and murder, versus Jesus, who has healed the sick, fed the hungry, and proclaimed the message of peace and love. Barabbas, who seeks resolution through violence. Jesus, who calls the weary to rest and encourages the peacemakers by telling them that they shall be called the sons of God. Barabbas, who kills those who stand in his way and oppose him. Jesus, who says to pray for those who revile and persecute you. Barabbas, who would not be happy unless the Romans and all those who aid them are dead and gone. Jesus, who encourages his disciples to literally go the extra mile in service to a Roman soldier. The chief priest, we would think, should be advocating for justice in pushing the crowd to side with Jesus and justice. And yet, Matthew tells us they are persuading the crowd to call for Barabbas' release. What can they be saying that would cause this crowd to turn on the one they had just sang hosannas for a few days back? What combination of words could make this crowd who had themselves witnessed or heard recounted such fantastic miracles as the resurrection of Lazarus, the expulsion of demons, the rebuking of the wind, and the turning of water into wine suddenly call for the miracle worker's crucifixion. It would have to be some composition of lies. But it has to be more than that. Lies by themselves would not result in this. But lies that invoke fear would. Oh, can't you hear them now? If we don't rid ourselves of this Jesus, we will be no better off than when we were back in Babylon. If we don't erase this Jesus from the scene, the Romans will destroy our beautiful temple as Antiochus Epiphanes did. So the crowd forgets the miracles and the hope they felt while listening to Jesus teach as they shout, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! On us be His blood. They choose fear over about the future of their faith to override the message of love that the fulfillment of their faith has brought. Sadly, we still see this today, beloved. When the witness of our faith fails to point people toward justice and not malice, toward mercy and not vengeance, toward reconciliation and not division, we promulgate a gospel of fear, fear, 
And we viciously malign and kill love. For we forget that perfect love drives away all fear. The absolutely amazing thing, beloved, is that love died on Calvary's cross so these things would no longer happen. And yet, every moment of every day, we witness the continued assassination of love and treat with kindness and deference love's assassins. We make a mockery of this Good Friday observance. When we act so callously and behold love dying with disdain and contempt. Let it not be so. But let us resolve to behold in every facet of our lives love blossoming and thriving, love multiplying and radiating the gift of God's grace that was purchased for us on the cross. For then, for then, Good Friday will truly be for all a testament of love. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.